Now, cardiovascular disorders. In the cardiovascular system, we talk about conditions that affecting pediatrics individuals. Um, these conditions, they are what we call the congenital heart defects. They are divided into categories. And in the N class, these categories of conditions, um, they are very important for us to know which category each one of these heart conditions is assigned to and why are they assigned in those different categories. And what are the major symptoms for those different categories that come or that fall under the congenital heart defect? Um, these are different abnormalities which start with uh, the CHD, the congenital heart di diseases. These abnormalities will result into heart failure and subsequently it can create hypoxemia for the babies or for, for the pediatrics clients. Um, it occurs when our heart is unable to pump adequate amount of blood to systemic circulation. That's when these heart defects become problems that, can face, that we can face uh, in our area. Now, when this occurs, it puts metabolic and physical demands on the body. The body requires certain amount of blood to be distributed within the various organs of the body if this amount of blood or this blood volume it is not what is being disposed or is not what or what is being pumped by the heart it puts demands on the body both metabolic demand and also physical demands now about these disorders we'll talk about <clears throat> these defects they are characterized into four different categories. There are four categories that fall under here. We have um, the one that has to do with one, increased pulmonary blood flow, pulmonary blood flow. So there are one of these disorders that will lead to increased pulmonary blood flow. Those disorders include the ASD, the VSD, and that of the PDA. So the one that result into increased pulmonary blood flow are, you have one, the ASD, ASD, the VSD, and you have the PDA, patent ductus arteriosus, atrial septal defect, ventricular septal defect, and you have the patent ductus arteriosus. These three conditions, when a child has this, uh, these three conditions, it leads to increased pulmonary blood flow. So in, the, when, when you have VSD, ASD, or PDA, there will be increased pulmonary blood flow in the body. When there is increased pulmonary blood flow in the body, that simply means this condition is what we call the pink baby syndrome or the pink, pink baby conditions. Because this condition will lead to increase blood flow into the body, pulmonary blood flow. And the more we have blood flow, the pinker or the, 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 uh, the more relaxed the child becomes. The child becomes pink. So that means blood flow and other O2 is kind of a, at a desired amount or our O2 saturation is adequate because of the increased pulmonary blood flow. So in, this, in these conditions,
individuals in these conditions will not have bluishness of the body. They will not have cyanosis. The next one would be the decreased pulmonary blood flow condition. The second group would be the decreased pulmonary blood flow condition. So these ones will include one, you have the TOF, tetrad of phallus, and you have the tricuspid atresia, the TA, tricuspid atresia. So in these two conditions, when a child is faced with these two conditions, it lead, uh, they lead to the child having decreased pulmonary blood flow. So they are commonly referred to as the blue baby conditions. So when a baby has when a, when a baby has this condition or these conditions, one of, one of these conditions, the baby will become bluish. There will be cyanotic, there will be decreased O2 saturation in the baby's systemic circulation, which is called the blue baby condition of the congenital heart defects. Now, then we have the one that has the third one in this condition. They will have obstruction. There will be obstructive defects, or there will be blood flow in this. There will be, there will be blood flow will be obstructed in this condition. Now, this condition include coarctation of the aorta. That's one. You also have um, pulmonary stenosis, and you have aortic stenosis. You have pulmonary stenosis. And you have the aortic stenosis. These three conditions, there will be obstruction of blood flow in the body. So, coordination of the artery, or sorry, of the aorta, pulmonary stenosis, and aortic stenosis. This condition will lead to blood flow obstruction. There will be blood flow will be obstructed, and there will not be enough blood flow to the semi circulation. And the fourth condition here, um, <clears throat> we call them. The mixed blood flow. The mixed blood flow. Now, the mixed blood flow conditions will include transposition of great arteries. The artery become transposed. We'll talk about them very soon. In this artery transposition, the aorta will come out from the right side of the heart and the pulmonary artery will come out from the left side of the heart. So there will be a change. There will be changes between the left and right ventricle, thus by allowing blood flow to be diverted in two ways. In the case of this mixed blood flow, so you have one is transposition of great artery, transposition of great artery the TGA. Another one is the truncus arteriosus, truncus arteriosus. That's one. Another one is what we call the hyperplastic left heart defect or syndrome. Hyperplastic, hyper, hypoplastic left heart syndrome. These are the four categories of congenital heart defect that we're going to talk about today. And you have to know this condition according to how I divided them. In the N class, they're going to, sometimes they come in slow that I apply. They will ask you, which one of the following conditions will lead to increased pulmonary blood flow? And it will mix them up in the end collection for slower apply. So you must know the ASD, VSD, the PDA are the ones leading to that, uh, that have such 
that have such description. Decrease pulmonary blood flow will be the TOF and the TA. So you got to remember them like how I'm saying them. Then let's look at them one at a time. Let's begin with the ones that lead to increased pulmonary blood flow. So you have increased pulmonary blood flow, increased pulmonary blood flow. Now, in these conditions, um, this condition under the, the VSD, the ventricular septal defect, the ASD, the atrial septal defect, and that of the um, PDA, the patent ductus arteriosus, these conditions will lead to increased blood flow from the pulmonary area that will shift from a high pressure location to a lower pressure location, thus by allowing our body to have enough or more than required uh, O2 blood with circulation. In this, in these defects, let's look at one at a time. Let's start with VSD. Now. The first one is VSD, ventricular septal defect. Now our heart is in this uh, format. This is our heart. Up here is the right atrium, the left atrium, the right ventricle, and the left ventricle. Below here, is the biggest blood vessel which is the aorta is right here here you have two you have the pulmonary artery that connects the right side to the lungs to get o2 and come back into the left side to go into systemic circulation this area you have two veins up here you have the inferior vena cava and you have the superior vena cavas these two blood vessels, they receive blood from systemic sections that have already been used. So when blood has been used from our body, blood return to our heart through the inferior and the superior vena cava. The inferior will receive blood from the lower segment of our body, while the superior receives blood from the upper segments of our body, including our upper extremities, our brain and other part of our body that are in the upper location or upper position of our body. Now, to understand these conditions, you must understand the flow of blood within the cardiovascular system for pediatrics. Now, in VSD, it's what we call ventricular septal defect, meaning below here are the ventricles, the left and right ventricles. So when there's a defect in here, there'll be a defect in here. So the septa, is what we call the boundary between the left and right side of the heart. So we call it the septa. So when you have ventricular, is the ventricle. Septa is the boundary between the left and right ventricle. A defect is a problem that is occurring. So that problem will lead to a hole. There will be an opening. So there will be a big opening between the left and right ventricle that will allow blood to shift from the left side of the heart into the right side of the heart. So blood will come in here, blood will shift from here and move into the, the rest of the heart. 
instead of going through here to go into systemic circulation, blood will leave from the left atrium, passes through the mitral valve, enter into the red, into the left ventricle, and goes back into the red ventricle. That's what happened in what about VSD. So that's why you're asking that the body will have increased flow of pulmonary blood because blood from the left side of the heart contains O2. That blood should not go back to the right side. The blood should be going into, into the aorta to go into systemic circulation to go and supply other organs with O2. But instead, the blood is shifted back into the rest of the heart, causing the entire heart to have increased pulmonary blood supply. And that's why VSD is one of the increased pulmonary blood supply diseases. Now, under here, what is important to know under here is what are the symptoms when, a, when, a, when an infant has VSD. Now, there will be a left to rest shift. Let's understand that. In this condition, there is a left to right shift. So meaning left here to right. So blood leaves the left side to the right side. So in VSD, there's a left to right shift. And we learned that uh, the left side of the heart contains O2 blood. And the rest of the heart contains D blood meaning they do not contain blood in the left in the rest of the heart so in this condition blood shift from the left side to the right side sharing the left side of blood with the right side which is not normal now when you have vsd when a baby has vsd one they are going there will be a loud harsh murmur sound there will be a large heart Murmur. There will be a heart murmur. There will be a heart murmur occurring in the heart. This murmur occurs meaning at the remember this very well at the left sternum border of the heart. There is occurring the left sternum border of the heart. There where you're going to hear this. Murmur, this huge heart murmur. If you place the stethoscope at that portion, you will hear a huge murmur occurring at the left sternum border. That's a very big cardinal sound for this condition. Patient will have a heart failure subsequently, and going to, then this condition does not need treatment. It closes by itself. So this hole in here, as the child grows, it closes by itself. So this does not need treatment unless in complication. But in normal condition, VSD closes spontaneously. The, the shunt, S-H-U-N-T, the shunt or this opening closes spontaneously. That's the real word. Spontaneously, it's going to close. So VSD, left to right, uh, uh, shifting of the heart, there will be heart murmur, her at the left sternum border and the shunt, meaning the opening between here, closes spontaneously. That's about VSD. Then we look at the ASD. Now, in a short sense, since we've known what VSD is, 
Next is ASD. Now, if VSD was around, was what occurred here, that means ASD will be in the atrial part of the heart. In the atrium of the heart, there will be an opening in here. This opening will also allow blood to shift from the left side of the heart to the heart right side. So ASD is atrial septal defect. There is a defect between the right atrium and the left atrium. This septum that separates the left from the right side has a defect. And this defect is a shunt or it's a hole or it's an opening. This opening or this shunt or this or, 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 or defect allows blood to flow from the left side of the heart to the right side of the heart, which is not normal in the ASD. Now, in the ASD condition, um, it is a right and left heart shifting. It, it, sorry, it is also a left to right shifting. It's also a left to right blood shifting, like the, v, like the VSD. For the ASD, um, there is also a loud heart murmur here. There will be a loud heart murmur heard on the ASD. But guess what? In this situation, this loud harsh murmur is fixed. Heart sound. It will be, you will hear it in a split second. It is a fixed heart sound. It is fixed. It is it's a fixed heart sound that is heard in a split second. So this sound is heard in a fixed in a split second. Now in VSD, it was heard at the what left sternum border. In ASD, it is heard in a split second at a fixed location. In ASD, um you will hear it is possibly asymptomatic it does not come of symptom because the baby will still be blue i'm sorry will be pink baby, the baby will not show any symptom of heart defects for the asd now then we have the pda now in the pda the patent ductus arteriosus which is the last condition under increased pulmonary blood flow, which is the PDA, patent ductus arteriosus, is patent ductus arteriosus, arteriosus. This condition is called PDA. Um, it is a condition in which the normal heart Saturate, uh, the normal blood flow in the in the in the fetus in utero. Um, in utero, the baby the babies do not go through normal blood circulation when they are in utero, because in utero, um, the lungs are not functional in utero, so the babies depend on the mother's lungs to breathe. So the conduit. The medium in which breathing occurs and the heart, the lungs, they work together to provide a good breathing mechanism. So that system in which breathing is occurring between the mother and the fetus, 
there is a particular opening in there that allows breathing to be done adequately and appropriately that opening does not close after at birth normally it should close at birth unfortunately in the case of pda that opening does not close until the child is born so when the child is born there is an opening left in the heart that is what we call the pda so it is a condition called the patent dotus arteriosus that's what happened in there now so in this situation um there will be a left or red shunt blood flow also blood flow is left to red all of the conditions that increase pulmonary blood flow it will be a shifting of blood from the left side of the heart to the rest of the heart now in the pda you will also hear a murmur a heart sound but the heart sound heard in here you will hear what we call a machine murmur machine or machine machinery murmur so you will hear it on us you get like a machine is beating that's how you're going to get a sound in the case of pda so there will be a machinery heart murmur heard on auscultation when you do the pda when you listen to the pda heart sounds so they're going to have wide pause so under here they will have wide pause they will have pounding pause the pause will be very pounding you're going to hear it in the pda and they are also going to have um they will have heart failures that's about the pda any question on these conditions any question i have a question yeah go ahead so none of these con uh increased pulmonary blood flow none of the conditions have a treatment they do by themselves so the achievement for for them i'm going to come to it just in a minute uh, yeah right. now decrease pulmonary blood flow in in the decrease pulmonary blood flow um we have these defects will cause lower amount of pulmonary blood to be distributed into the into the body and pulmonary blood is always within the left side of the heart because the lungs is nearer to the left side of the heart and there are direct valves and direct blood vessels that allow the blood to pass through the lungs and get oxygenated and return to the heart through the left side of the heart when that happens it allows us to have blood in our left side of our heart that can be distributed to the to the systemic circulation now these defects um these defects it is all called the right to left shifting so in my in my, the first defect where the increase right that was a left to right so these ones are what we call the right to left blood shifting or blood flow that's why they are called the decreased pulmonary blood flow the first one for them um they are joined called the blue babies or the text spell this is one of the words that anchor can use the text 
spell. So they have a text spell, or I will call it blue baby. Because in this in these conditions, the babies are symptomatic. They appear blue because there will be decreased O2 flow, which is cyanosis occurring. There will be in in this condition there will be uh, cyanosis. Now, in these conditions, guess what? Um, we have the tricuspid atresia. Tricuspid atresia is the first one. The tricuspid or cuspid atresia. Now, if you do not know what is atresia, look it up. Now, in the tricuspid atresia, this is the tricuspid valve. It is a three leaflet valve that is located between the red atrium and the red ventricle of the heart. So you have this valve is called the tricuspy valve because it has a three leaflet valve, which, which is called the tricuspy. Now, in this condition, there is narrowing. This valve becomes narrower or it becomes narrow to the point that blood flow is obstructed or blood flow is not pitting, blood flow is not being accommodated. So in that situation, it decreases blood flow. And now, in this condition, in the tricuspid atresia, um, there is a complete closure. It's not even narrowing because let me not use the word narrowing. So there is a complete closure of this valve, of this tricuspid valve in atresia. In atresia, there will be a complete closure. It's not even narrow because narrow will be a wrong word. So it is a complete closure of the valve between the red atrium and the red ventricle in the case of this tricuspid atresia. Now, in this condition, um, when this happens, an interceptor defect opening needs to be present to allow blood to enter into the right or uh, into the left atrium. So in the infants, they're gonna be cyanotic, uh, they're gonna be cyanotic, they will have dyspnea, they will be irritable, they will have these three symptoms for infants. For the older children, if it is not if it is not if it is not uh, if it is not diagnosed until they get older a little bit, they're gonna have clubbing fingernails. They'll have clubbing nails. They're gonna have hypoxemia. Those are the two symptoms for the older children. And the younger ones will have dyspnea. They're gonna have uh, cyanosis, and they'll have tachycardia for the for the infants. And the older ones will have clubbing of the fingernails or the fingers. And they're going to have hypoxemia for the tricuspid atresia. Now, then the next one becomes um, the next one on here is going to be tetralogy of phallus, T O F. Now, there is a reason why it is called tetra, tetralogy, tetralogy of fallout, of fallout. TOF. Tetra means what? The word tetra, it means four. Tra means three. 
tetramenfo. So there are four conditions that make up tetrahedral There are four conditions that make up tetrahedral In the English, do not mistakenly choose tricuspid atresia and think it is tetrahedral No. There are four conditions or four defects that lead to tetrahedral What are those four defects? One, we have pulmonary stenosis. One is pulmonary stenosis. That's one. Two, we have ventricular septal defects. Ventricular septal defect. We're talking about in in pulmonary blood flow. Also, if we talk about in we talk about VSD in increased pulmonary blood flow. It's also it also follows tetrahedral of phallic. Ventricular septal defect. Three, we have um, overriding of the aorta, overriding of the aorta, fourth on here, and the fourth of this condition is the red ventricular hypertrophy, right ventricular hypertrophy, hypertrophy. Right ventricular hypertrophy. So these four conditions or these four heart defects are referred to as the tetralogy of fallot under the decreased pulmonary blood flow. So you have two conditions that fall under the pulmonary decreased pulmonary blood flow. Those conditions are tetra the tricuspid atresia that stains by itself, wearing the tricuspid valve become closed completely. The next one is the tetrahedral of phallus that contains four different heart defects. These are possible sled order apply questions in the ankle because they are confusing. You must understand that what are the four that falls under tetrahedral of phallus. Now, these conditions, when a baby is born, they will have they will be born with cyanosis. They are born with cyanosis under here. When they are born, they are born with cyanosis under here. They become blue. That's why we call them the blue baby or the or the test spells because they, they will lack O2 because there is a decreased pulmonary blood supply in these individuals. They're going to have hypoxemia they will have systolic heart murmur for them they're going to have systolic heart murmur under here systolic heart murmur so when they are born with these symptoms if it is not treated, it progresses and become, becomes more of a problem after the first birthday. This, so this bluishness or this sadness will increase after one year after birth. That's what happened under here. So these are the conditions we refer to as the decreased pulmonary blood flow conditions. There are two. Triacospia atresia and the child of phallus. 
The first ones were the increased pulmonary blood flow, the ASD, the VSD, and the PDA. The next one we go to are the mixed, uh, sorry, the obstructed blood flow defect, obstructed blood flow defect. In this condition I'm about to talk about, <coughs> blood flow is not spontaneous. There is an obstruction of blood flow in this condition. Now, these conditions, um, they include blood flow that will exit the heart in a different area due to stenosis, due to narrowing. So when you hear the word stenosis, it means narrowing. When you hear the word attrition, it means complete closure. So these conditions, they derive from blood vessel stenosis that progresses into a complete condition that will lead to blood flow obstruction in this condition that we're about to talk about. These conditions, they are in children. Um, when this happens, it increases the infant, um, it increases pressure on the heart or on the ventricle of the heart. That's what happened in here. So this condition include the first one is pulmonary stenosis. Pulmonary stenosis is the first condition under here. Pulmonary stenosis. So in pulmonary stenosis, what happens in pulmonary stenosis? There is a narrowing of the pulmonary valve that will lead to decreased blood flow to the pulmonary area to get O2. So there will be narrowing of the pulmonary valve or the pulmonary artery that will result in the blood flow obstruction to the ventricles. That's what happening in the case of pulmonary stenosis. In pulmonary stenosis, you will hear a murmur. Now, every sector of this, these conditions, there will be a murmur. What is important is to note and understand where the murmurs are occurring. In pulmonary stenosis, there is systolic murmur. There will be systolic murmur. There will be a systolic murmur in pulmonary stenosis. Now, in pulmonary stenosis, um, at first, when there is stenosis, there will not be significant cyanosis. But as the narrowing increases, as the pulmonary valve, the pulmonary artery become, becomes more stenotic, meaning it becomes more narrow or it gets narrower, it leads to increased bluishness or increased cyanosis. So meaning, if the child is born at birth, the child might not have bluishness of the skin or cyanosis. As the child grows, the condition increases, it leads to increased bluishness of the baby as they grow. Now, in pulmonary stenosis, the child will have heart failure and they will have cardiomegaly, meaning they will have enlargement of the heart in the case of pulmonary stenosis. So the heart will become enlarged because the valve in here, so there, here will be the pulmonary valve. So this valve will be narrowing until it will get narrow. 
blood will set, blood will begin to backflow. As blood backflows, it sets in this in these chambers. It helps to expand the chambers, which will lead to cardiomegaly or or or, 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 or heart enlargement or enlarged heart for sure. Then the next conditions we have, we call the aortic stenosis. The aortic stenosis. The aortic stenosis is the next condition. For the aortic stenosis, it's almost like the first one. The difference there is, it is involved with the aorta. So this is the pulmonary valve, or the pulmonary artery here. This is the aorta right here. So in this situation, the aortic valve becomes narrower and progresses into complete blockade. So in the aortic stenosis, um, what happens in there? The baby will have narrow of the pulmonary of, of this of this valve. And guess what? This pulmonary artery or this pulmonary vessel, it is the biggest blood vessel in a human body. And it is that blood vessel that allows blood to be sent to systemic circulations. So when it becomes narrow, blood is not going anywhere. So blood will sit in the heart. Then guess what? The symptoms for this aortic stenosis will include one fainting. Baby will have there will be, be fainting occurring in here. Fainting. The, the, the baby is, is going to faint. They're going to have uh, hypotension. Hypotension will occur for the babies. They will have um, tachycardia and they will have poor feeding. Under here, for the older children, if the older children experience these conditions, they will, they will not have the strength to play, with their, to play with their peers. So they cannot run around. They cannot play. They will be easily fatigued. They will be irritable. They will be weak and other things going to happen to them if older children have the same, the same condition. Now, So those are the symptoms. Now, under here, in the aortic stenosis, they're going to have a murmur, but they will have, e uh, they will have ejection murmur, ejection murmur occurring in here. They will have possible ejection murmur occurring with this condition. They can have chest pain. Those are possible symptoms that can occur with the obstructive blood flow condition, pulmonary or aortic stenosis. The last one under here is the coartation of the aorta. So the last one under here will be coartation of the aorta, meaning there will be coartation of this aorta, the same blood vessels, aorta. There will be aortic coartation. That means the lumen of the aorta will become narrow. So in the first condition, in aortic stenosis, it is the valve in the aorta that became narrow. In the case of coartation of the aorta, the lumen, what's the lumen? Here, here is the lumen. The lumen is the opening. So this opening becomes narrow. 
in the when you have to work quotation of the aorta, the opening of the aorta becomes narrow. When you have to work aortic stenosis, the valve that is in this uh, aortic valve becomes narrow. That's what happened in there. Now, we also want to note, note that uh, um, in this condition, it occurs nearer to um, it occurs nearer to the ductus arteriosus, and the ductus arteriosus, like I said, it is the opening that allows blood flow when the inf when the fetus is when uh, when the baby is in utero. So the arteriosus, the ductus arteriosus, it is that opening that allows babies to have exchange of blood exchange of o2 when their lungs are not functional in utero so this question of aorta occurs next to the ductus arteriosus that's what happening in the case of this condition so the so the baby is going to have elevated blood pressure they're going to have bounding pulses in the upper extremity endless point so in this condition they will have bounding pulses bounding pulses but it will only occur in the what in the upper extremity for the babies so when you take the pulse the pedal pulse artery will not be bounding if you take the pulse in the upper portion of the body there will be bounding pulses occurring very fast and bounding they're going to have decrease blood pressure in the lower extremity in the lower extremity there will be decreased bp so as a nurse to confirm this condition you will do the bp in the upper arms in the lower legs or in the upper extremities do it also in the lower extremity there will be a variation there will be a pulse pressure between the upper and the lower so the upper pulse the the, the upper bp will be higher the lower bp the lower extremity BP becomes lower in the case of coordination of aorta. There will be weak or, or absent femoral pulses. There will be no femoral pulse if it is exist, meaning it will be weaker compared to other pulses like the like the <clears throat> like the other pulses of, of the body. They're gonna have heart failure in infants. They're gonna have nosebleeds. Also, they can have nosebleed in this condition. So those are the conditions under obstructive blood flow. Any question on these conditions? Any question on these conditions? Under the mixed defects, there are three conditions under the mixed defects. One, we have the first one is the transposition of great arteries transposition transposition of great arteries tga under here the tgas um <clears throat> It is a condition in which the aorta is splinted in 
the right side of the heart instead of the left side, while the pulmonary artery is in the right side. So when I gave you the, the joint out on the bowl, I gave you something like this. And I said here was the pulmonary artery, the PA. And I said here is the biggest blood vessels, which is the aorta. And I said here was the red atria, here was the left atria, here was the red ventricle, here was the left ventricle. And I said here was the tricuspid valve, and here was the mitral valve. Now, in the case of transposition of great arteries, what are the great arteries? There are two great arteries. Those two great arteries are the aortic, the aorta, or the aorta, and the pulmonary artery are the two great arteries. The word transposition means it is positioned across, transpose. It's like crisscrossing. Now, in this condition, there is a there is a change or there is a make a there is a transposition of the two great arteries this aorta and this pulmonary artery what happens this aorta will come from this side meaning there will not be aorta anymore when the child is born there will be a switch so here the aorta will come out from here and here will have the red uh, the pulmonary artery. So the pulmonary artery will come from here, then the aorta will be on the right side. Normally, our aorta should be on the left side of the heart. The aorta is always linked to the left ventricle. Why the pulmonary artery is linked to the right ventricle? Why? Because the aorta leaves the left side and it should carry blood. So systemic circulation. Why? Because the blood in the left side of the heart has already been oxygenated. So it needs to go to the left side of the heart and go to systemic circulation. For the pulmonary artery, it should always be on the right side of the heart because the rest of the heart does not contain O2. So the pulmonary artery has a work the function is it returns blood to the to the lungs to get O2. That's why it's called pulmonary artery. In the case of transposition of great artery, there's a crisscross. So the aorta will come out from the rest of the heart instead of the left side of the heart. Why the pulmonary artery will branch out from the left side of the heart instead of the rest of the heart. That's what happened in the case when you have the word transposition of great arteries. What are the great arteries? The aorta and the pulmonary artery. They become transposed. That's what happened in here. Now, guess what happened? If this occurs, meaning blood that is in the rest side, it is what we call D O2, or meaning deoxygenated blood, when it comes to the aorta, it's going back into systemic circulation because of the transposition. Now, 
this pulmonary blood that coming in the pulmonary artery, it should have been going to systemic circulation, but unfortunately, the pulmonary artery is misplaced. That's the real world. Because it is misplaced, so it will do an opposite function of itself. So instead of taking blood back to the lung that contain O2, it will take blood that contain this uh, O2 from this side back to the lungs. That's what happened in the case of this transposition of gray artery. So under here, the arteries are transposed. It leads to mixture of blood from two different segments of the heart. Does that make sense to us? Now, under here, um, the patient might have cyanosis, but it is not always the case. Sometimes they might not have cyanosis. The patient might have cardiomegaly. Sometimes they're going to have heart failure. They're going to have murmur, but the murmur in this case, it is not specified. The murmur, the heart murmur in this condition, in the TGA, it depends on the severity of the transposition. Then the next condition under here is what we call truncus arteriosus. Truncus. Truncus arteriosus. Arteriosus. In the truncus arteriosus, um, there is a failure of the septum to form between the ventricles. That means in truncus arteriosus, the septum between here is not there. So when a child is born, the child will have three chambers. They will have two upper chambers and one joint lower chambers. So in truncus arteriosus, the septum that divides the right and left ventricle is absent. There will be a big vacuum under here. So blood from here will come in here, enters in here. Blood from here comes in here, enters in the ventricle. So you will have left side and right side blood will mix in the ventricle. So we're not going to have left and right side ventricle. We'll have one big open ventricle. In truncus arteriosus, that's what happened in there. Um, the child will have murmurs, but the heart murmurs are not specified. They're going to have cyanosis, but the cyanosis is not specified because the blood is mixed. There will be delayed growth. There will be growth retardation. The fetus also, the child will have fatigue, they will have lethargy. They're going to have poor feeding habits. They will have poor feeling habits when you have truncus arteriosus. That's what happened in this truncus arteriosus. Then the last of these conditions is the hypoplastic left heart syndrome. 
The third one is the hypoplastic, hypoplastic left heart syndrome. In the third condition, this hypoplastic left heart syndrome, it is a condition um, where the left side of the heart is underdeveloped. So this whole left side of the heart is not developed. Meaning you have the heart like this and you have it like this. So you see the left side of the heart is not developed. It could be narrow tumors while the rest of the heart will have good and wider tumors. So this left side of the heart, it is underdeveloped. Which is called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. That's what happened in there. So in this condition, they can have mild cyanosis, not severe. They're going to have lethargy. One partner sort of symptom for this left for this condition is they will have cold feet. They will have cold feet and hands. So the hands and the feet will be very cold. They will have cold feet and hands. Their hands and feet will be very cold. That's what happened in the case of hypoplastic left heart syndrome. You're going to have that. Also, um, some of these conditions are linked to the PDA. Once the PDA shunt is closed, it goes away. Some of them. So what is important here is The ones that require treatment. Don't look at the ones that we talk about that requires treatment. <clears throat> so for these heart defects, the ones that require treatment are one, the VSD. For the VSD, which is the ventricular septal defect, it does not require a surgical pr procedure. It requires Cardiac catheterization. This requires cardiac catheterization. Catheterization. Under here. That's one. So they can do a complete repair. Also for the P. The, also for the ASD, the ASD require the same, the same procedure and they can also do closure. They can do a, a, they can do a surgical procedure, but they will do a patch, they will do patch closure, patch closure for the, the two of them. So they can do catechism for, for, for the two of them, which is not a surgical procedure. They can do patch closure for the two of them, which is the surgical procedure for the two of them. That is the VSD and the ASD. For the PDA, the third one is the PDA. The PDA uses a medication that is very common 
to close the opening, which is called endometacin. Endometacin is the drug of choice to close the PDA in babies that are born with PDA. So they might use if the drug is not if the medication is not successful, they might use a procedure called thoracoscopic repair. They will do a thoracoscopic repair. For the pulmonary stenosis, the pulmonary stenosis for this condition, they will do a procedure called balloon angioplastic. They can do balloon angioplastic. Also for the arterial, for the uh, aortic stenosis, the same procedure can be done for aortic stenosis. They can also do the same balloon uh, angiopathy for coartation of the aorta. The same balloon angioplastic for coartation of aorta. Now, what is important to note about these conditions? Um, So note is for the for the tricuspid atresia, the seven one with tricuspid atresia. This requires three distinct surgeries, so they'll do surgery three times. This one contains three surgeries. They will do three repairs. The first repair. They will do a procedure in the first repair that is called, they will do a shunt placement because there is no opening, they will do a shunt placement, shunt placement in the first procedure. Procedure one, they will do shunt, shunt placement. In the second procedure, they will do the gland procedure, they will do gland procedure. In the third procedure, that's when they will do a modified 410 procedure. In the third procedure, the last, they will do a modified fountain. They will do a modified fountain procedure. The modified fountain procedure can be done in the last one. So for the tetrahedral of phallus, the TOF, so they do a repair in the first year of life for the tetrahedral of phallus. Also for the truncus arteriosus, the truncus Arteriosus, 
do the same repair in the first year of life, trancous arteriosus. Um, this trichostic atresia, there is also another condition you do three procedure. That condition is in the hypoplastic left heart syndrome. In the hypoplastic left heart syndrome, we we'll talk about they do three procedures in here. The first procedure is They would do what we call the Norwood procedure. Norwood procedure. The Norwood procedure is done in the first one. The Norwood procedure. Then they would do um, this procedure. The Glen procedure is done. The same procedure, the second procedure, and the same third procedure is done under here. So they will do the procedure, here they will do the Norwood, and here they will do a shunt placement. In tricuspid atresia, they will do a shunt placement in the first procedure. In hypoplastic left heart syndrome, in the first procedure they will do a Norwood procedure. That's what happening in here. Any question? So we'll begin with pediatrics, cardiomyopathy. Um, it is just a term given to the abnormality of the myocardium of the heart. So we'll look at the first one is cardiomyopathy. It is the abnormality, the abnormal presentation of the myocardium of the heart which interfere with its medium or its ability to contract. So when the, when the myocardium of the heart cannot contract, there will be some abnormalities. It is what we call the cardiomyopathy. Um, under here, it is important to note that when, when someone has, when a child has cardiomyopathy, um, there are tests we do for them. Those tests will be EKG, after EKG, we can also do the ESR, which is the erectrocyte sedimentary rate, the ESR. We do EKG. We can also complete um, urinalysis and blood culture. We can, con we can uh, do the urinalysis, the UA, and we can do blood culture to know exactly what's the cause of uh, this heart condition. It is important that we can also complete um, CBC. We can do a chest X-ray, CT scan, and MRI. Those are just tests we do, among other tests, to, to know that the child, what, what's the cause of the cardiomyopathy. Um, when someone has cardiomyopathy, they're going to have um, infection. I'm sorry, it leads to infection, which is, a, which is a complication. And there could be some embolic complication. Embolic complication. There will be, there will be embolism 
occurring. So which is clot formation in our body, which can be fatal when it gets complicated. That's what happened in here. So it is important to note to know these things. Now in the ankles, <coughs> this is what happened in the ankles. At this stage, when we discuss one condition, we should think about other links to that condition. So when we talk about cardiomyopathy, we want to talk about embolism or embolar formation. Now, when there is embolar, there are different types of embolar. There are different types of blood clot forming. Now, these conditions that are going to form from this particular condition, from this cardiomyopathic complication, they are all they all should be considered medical emergency because if it is not uh, if it is not resolved within a shorter possible time, it leads to death. So the so the patient going to have tachycardia, they will have dyspnea, they will have enlargement of the spleen and the liver, which is hepatosplenomegaly. They're going to have fatigue and poor growth. These conditions affect mostly the babies because we are talking about pediatrics nursing. Now, another thing I want to look at in, in a very nutshell would be shock. The kind of shock occurring. So basically, there are two kinds of shock that we were going to we'll talk about. One of those shocks is the cardiogenic shock. Cardiogenic shock. And the next one is the anaphyletic shock. So you have the anaphyletic shock and you have the cardiogenic shock. Now, for the the first one, which is the cardio, which is the cardio, the cardio, the cardiogenic shock, um, this result from impairment of heart function, cardiac function, that will lead to decreased cardiac output. So there's some, something occurred in the heart. Just there's, there's an abnormal occurrence occurring in the heart. It leads to um, impairment of the heart normal function which will decrease the cardiac output. That becomes cardiogenic shock. So that leads to cardiogenic shock. Now, in the case of um, anaphylactic shock, this has to do with what we call hypersensitivity. Hypersensitivity occurring in the body. Now, under here, it could be foreign body that has been introduced to our body, which will lead to triggering of our immune system. That reaction will lead to vasodilatation, which can cause um, this, this particular shock to occur for this anaphylactic shock. So it will result in hypersensitive reaction where well, there's a foreign body that, 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 that lives in this in the in in our system, which will trigger and will lead to massive vessel dilatation or dilation. And then there will be capillary leak, 
and can occur in response to allergy. So it could be medication allergy, drugs allergy, it could be latex allergy, it could be food allergy. It is just in response to allergens in the body. This anaphylactic shock. For the cardiac shock, there will be cardiac muscle impairment that will lead to decreased cardiac output. Decreased cardiac output. For the anaphylactic shock, there is a foreign body that enters our system and creates reaction or causes reaction. That reaction leads to increased vasodilation that might cause us to go into anaphylactic shock. So those are the two basic kind of shock. It could be other blood transfusion reaction could, could, could lead to this anaphylactic shock or it could be incest things like you have bees. These things can also cause these shocks. Like you have the yellow jacket. When it stings you, it leads to this another shock. It could be in, it could be another like insect bite. It could also lead to another shock. Now, it is important to note to know the signs and symptoms of another shock or these different kind of shock occurring in our body. Now. When there's a shock in the body, we're going to have um, dyspnea. Now, the reason why we are talking about this thing is because these are considered as emergency. Most, especially some of these shocks are going to occur that will cause us to lose our breathing ability. That becomes uh, an emergency condition and it got to be treated as emergency. Now, they're going to have dyspnea. This is the first thing that's going to happen. They'll have dyspnea. They're going to have tachycardia. They're going to have hypotension. There will be grunting occurring. Grunting. There'll be grunting. They're going to have weak peripheral pulses. So these are just the expected findings for any kind of shock, be it cardiogenic, be it anaphylactic, these are what they're going to have as symptoms, generalized symptoms are going to happen to them when they have this this particular shock. Now, um, there are three things occurring when there is shock. Three things are going to occur at once. The first thing is, um, in the case of cardiogenic shock, there will be cardiac impairment. There will be cardiac impairment. So our heart cannot function well. Meaning, you're going to start having dyspnea because if the heart is not functioning well, guess what happening? Your body is your your body is not receiving the adequate amount of blood you're supposed to receive in normal instance or in normal conditions. So based upon that, you are going to have dyspnea because the blood, when the heart is working well, the heart pumps blood and blood contains oxygen, which is distributed to the very organ of our body, the brain, the kidneys, the heart itself, the liver, the lungs, they all receive O2 through blood when the heart pumps blood. So when the heart is having decreased cardiac output, all of those other organs in the body also get affected. That's what happened in here. So they also so there will be sweating, 
they will be touching cardia when there's an impaired cardia function. They will be touching cardia. They will be sweating. There will be hypertension. There will be cold, weak, or cold pulses or weak extremities. They're going to have this symptom when there is cardiac impairment. That's one. Two, um, they're also going to have pulmonary congestion. Pulmonary congestion. When you have shock, you can have pulmonary. There can be pulmonary congestion in the case of shock. Now, under the pulmonary con con conjection, there will be tachypnea. Now, in this stage of our English, we should know what are the common symptoms for pulmonary conditions. What are the common symptoms for uh, cardiac condition, kidney condition? Just think about it. When, when the patient is having kidney conditions, we have, we have some function that come in that will be impaired. When there's a cardiac problem, we have some common symptoms. Likewise, pulmonary symptoms or pulmonary condition. So in the ankles, before we go to the ankles, we should be able to sit and understand these things and know how we can differentiate these symptoms from other symptoms occurring for other organs. For pulmonary, talking about breathing, there will be tachypnea. For cardiac, talking about heartbeat, there will be tachycardia. For pulmonary, for the heart, there will be hypertension. For pulmonary, there will be bradypnea, tachypnea. Uh, those are going to be coming in for the pulmonary symptoms. So pulmonary also, they're going to have nasal flaring. So they will have nasal flaring. They will have nasal congestion. They're going to have um, grunting. They will have wheezes. They will have cyanosis. They're going to have cough. They will have autopenia. And they will have exercise intolerance. Those are things that are going to happen to individuals who are having, who are exhibiting symptoms of pulmonary congestion when they're having shock. Because when there's a shock, right? That's why you always carry those medications that are that will relieve you when there's a shock when there's a pulmonary problem coming on when, when there's a shock occurring when there's an anaphylactic shock like epipen epinephrine hydrocodazone those are drugs that we use so every every time we have those attack when those drugs are around they become life-saving medications when they are not around sometimes we lost the patient because we cannot lay him on those medications that will relieve them from those uh, reactions that, that, that they are having. So in this situation, um, they're going to have that. Now, after the pulmonary conjection, they can also have systemic venous conjection. So, so they can have systemic venous conjection. Systemic venous conjection. So they're going to have one, cardiac impairment, two, pulmonary congestion, and three, they will have systemic venous condition. Now, your best bet is to know the common symptoms that come with pulmonary, that come with cardiac impairment, the ones that come with pulmonary congestion, and the ones that come with systemic venous congestion. Those are things you don't remember for the ankles. Because this symptom, I'm, 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 I'm grouped to you in this manner, 
they might come, not might, they are also available in other conditions with the same symptoms. So you want to know that when a patient exhibits these symptoms, that they are having pulmonary congestion, or they are having systemic venal congestion, or they are having cardiac impairment. Because every each one, each one of these problems can tell us exactly what they are having, what condition they are having. So if a patient was having a shock and decided to exhibit like a nasal flaring, grunting, wheezing, or tachypnea, those are not signs of symptoms of cardiac impairment. They are symptoms of what? Pulmonary problem. Because those are breathing problems they're going to have. Wheezes is not for the heart. Wheezes, grunting, nasal flaring, those are symptoms that link to the what? To our lungs. So they are pulmonary symptoms. So our ability to pick up this, to pick up this thing faster helps us to learn that we are doing much better in terms of how we analyze our question at the level of the ankles. For systemic circuit, for systemic venal con conjection, now, the name might sound big to you, systemic venous conjection. This simply means our system is having fluid overload. Fluid overload. That's what happened in here. When you hear the word systemic venous, I mean the veins. The veins are responsible to return body fluid, blood from the body to the heart. That's the function of the veins. So when our body fluid cannot be returned to the heart, the fluid will set within the veins. That can cause body congestion, and it's gonna be immediately occurring in the veins. So that's what we call a systemic venous congestion. In a, in a common sense, even if you do not know what is systemic, what is systemic venous congestion symptoms, the further I have talked about this, I have defined this for you. Let's, let, 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 let's look at a few of the symptoms. Let's see what can we come up with without, without looking in the book. So I said, in systemic venous conjection, systemic venous conjection, there is the client having fluid overload, right? Fluid overload. So when we are having fluid overload, what are the possible symptoms that we can come that can that we can that we can uh, exhibit? Let's name five those symptoms. Anybody? Edema. Edema, right? Edema is the number one known when having fluid overload. Dyspnea. It could be dyspnea. Dyspnea is another one. What happened in dyspnea? In dyspnea, you have fluid overload. You have the lungs having congestion because the heart is having fluid. And, and, and when there's a tumor block within, tumor fluid within the body, it blocks the pulmonary artery from allowing blood to go to the lungs and get O2, which can cause pulmonary congestion. I agree, which, which can also show a symptom of dyspnea. I agree with that. Another one. Another one. Can I say crackles? Crackles, I would agree, but uh, Crackles, yes, because when the lung has fluid in it, you have crackles occurring. I agree with that. So there are so many, there are so many, there are so many things we want to talk about. Like you're gonna have all oh, this swelling on the body. The eyes will get the eye, the periorbital area of the eyes. You're gonna have like a the feet, you're gonna have like a 
fluid oil, you're gonna have the the neck vein. There will be the neck juggler. I want the biggest of pulmonary of of, of, of of systemic venous circulation because the, the veins of the neck will become the stinger. So you can have the stinger juggler vein, the stinger juggler vein will occur. So you will have this happening in there. You can also have like a you're gonna have a you're gonna have ascites. You have a distinct abdomen, ascites. You're gonna have ascites occurring in there. You're gonna have a uh, splenomegaly. The spleen will get enlarged. You're gonna have um, the liver will get enlarged. Liver edema, which is hepatomegaly. So these are these are things you're gonna have. You're gonna have hepatomegaly. You're gonna have splenomegaly. You're gonna have distinct abdomen. You're gonna have peripheral edema. All these things are all linked to what fluid volume overload. So in the end class. They might not use the word fluid volume overload. They might not use the word of uh, edema. They might use they might use systemic venous like uh, venous conjection. That simply means that our body is not returning body fluid to the heart to get O2 to be redistributed to the body. Simple as that. So when we see these symptoms in the anklets, we should pick them up and have them align with these conditions. So when you see pulmonary symptoms, you know that they are pulmonary symptoms. So that can give you a clue on your question at the end class. But if you cannot differentiate pulmonary symptoms from uh, cardio symptoms, from systemic symptoms, that becomes a major problem in the end class. And the end will look at that more compared to those disease conditions. Because they want you to have this thing at the back of your mind. Certain things when you see, it gives you clue of what's happening to the patient. So um, these are things the patient, the patient, the patient, the patient, the patient is going to have. We can do the ABGs for this for this patient. We can do ABGs for them. We can do for them hemoglobin, hematocrit, and we can do the serum electrolyte for the patient. We can monitor the patient for EKG. We can do the EKG monitoring. We can do chest X-ray. We can do the echocardiography, um, which will determine the heart defect and heart function. So we can do. The echocardiography. Echocardiography. Now, the reason why I talk about this test because in the end class they will ask you for this for this some of these things and ask you what is the function of this of this test. This echocardiography tells us the defect, how our heart is defective, or how the heart is malfunctional. That's the function of the echocardiography when you do this test for the patient. Um, we can also do cardiac catheterization. Now, um, when we are doing cardiac catheterization, we want to understand what is the goal when we are asked to catheterize the heart. What are we doing? What's the goal in that particular procedure? Now, for this procedure, we definitely do it as an invasive test to diagnose, to repair, or to evaluate dysrhythmia. So there are three reasons why we do cardiac catheterization. Now, those reasons are one, for DX to diagnose a condition, two, to repair a heart problem, and three, to evaluate a condition. These are the three reasons why we do cardiac catheterization. Now, in this, uh, for this particular test, 
um, they will use a dye, a dye, a, a contrast medium. So when we are using a dye in this test, meaning we got to be concerned about the patient allergic to what to share fit or iodine because this uh, dye that I that we use, this contrast medium we use in this test, they have a link to what to iodine or shellfish allergies. Um. So, so that, that's about that, that's that's what that, that is exactly what, what I will understand. Now, another important part for for this particular topic is, uh, after the procedure. Now let's start with the procedure. You will collect the patient history to see whether there's any evidence of infection. Now, diaper rash. Can anyone tell me about diaper rash for this? Test what is it done? Uh, what or uh, 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 what's what's uh, what's the importance of double rash for this test? Double rash. Can anyone tell anything about double rash? Can anyone tell anyone double rash? People have people put the app on me if you come on, please. Diaper rash. Now, when you are doing this particular procedure, the cardiac catheterization, you have to get evidence. There's you know you know to 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 find certain things. One is infection. Two is severe diaper rash. These things, when you have them, when the patient has any of this condition, you have to cancel the procedure. Cancel the procedure when the patient has dapper rash or infection. Because um would thread will put in a catheter that will run from the femoral area to the child heart. And if the child has rash in the diaper or they have infection, the line that is being linked to the heart might be might have some of these infectious agents that will find its way to the heart, which might cause heart infection, like a bacterial endocarditis, which is not good in this in this condition. That's why we're gonna look while the patient has infection or they have any diaper rash. So these conditions are contraindicated for the procedure. So if the patient has diaper rash, because, because this is pediatrics, they cannot do the procedure. Now, also under here, um, we mostly access the femoral area to put in the catheter. So we do the femoral area to pass to pass the catheter, and we find the veins from that femoral area up to the heart. We also want to make sure we provide age appropriate teaching. Describe how long will it takes for the child to be discharged. The child needs to be on MPU for four to six hours before the procedure. Um, the child needs to obtain, we need to get the child vital signs. All other important information about, about the child before the procedure can be done. All these things need to be established before the procedure can be done. Now, after after the procedure, 
after the cardiac catheterization, we have to provide continuous cardiac monitoring. Monitoring the child's heart, look at the O2 saturation, look at the heart rate. Those are domains that we have to monitor continuously when we are monitoring the 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 the, the, the piece heart after cardiac catheterization. We want to make sure we search for bradycardia, dysrhythmia, or any type. It could be any form of this. One is it is a, it is an abnormal heart pattern. We, we just call dysrhythmia. We have to report it. Once it is abnormal, it needs to be reported to the doctor for prompt intervention. Once there is hypoxemia, it needs to be treated as an emergency after the procedure. But assess the pulses for symmetry and equality, meaning we check the both pulses on the two legs, both pulses on the two arms. We cannot check one pulse and leave one pulse when the child has undergone cardiac arrest. We've got to check both pulses on the both side of the body, and we've got to check the numbers. So if we take 36 or something, it on one side, on the red arm, it should be the same uh, on the left arm. It should be equal and they, they should have the same quality of position. Anything other than that, we have to report it to the doctor. Got to assess the patient temperature on the affected extremity and then look at it on the other side also. Meaning if the child has it on the red, if the child has, it, has it, this kind on the red uh, femoral leg, or look at the temperature of that leg and also compare it to the temperature on the left leg if it is not the left leg that is being characterized. So in that situation, um, when you look at the book extremity and you see one of the extremity is cool to touch, it's cool to touch and it contains blanches or it blanches when you touch it, meaning there is an arterial problem occurring in there, meaning there's an arterial obstruction, meaning the blood is not flowing through the artery. So with this with, with this particular procedure, we check for the veins, check for the artery. If one of the legs, let's say the child has it on the red legs or on the red femoral vein, or in the red, uh, in, in, in red uh, uh, femoral areas, and the left leg is, has nothing, and one of the legs is having it's very cold to touch, and that layer is blanching. That means there's an arterial problem in the meaning there is an arterial obstruction which needs intervention. Now, in this thing I'm talking about here, in the end class, they will not bring them to you like how I'm saying it. But it is important that we know the knowledge about it. So when it appears in any way or form or manner, will understand how to get the question correct. Take for example for this question, in the end class, they might ask you, a child who is undergoing cardiac catheterization, the left leg is cold, they'll give it this, they'll give it this, this description that will fit exactly this problem that you need to call it, and they'll ask you, what will the nurse do? What's the nurse best action? What's the nurse immediate action? You must know how to, what is, you must know the immediate action in this situation. What's the best action? This is the thing that will ask, ask you. So if you do not have an, if, if you do not have 
what if you don't if you do not have um knowledge about this particular topic from your knowledge point that you were studying it becomes difficult to answer the discussion in the end class want to also assess the femoral site where the character was insider for sounds of bleeding sound of infection and any sound of abnormality should be should be taken seriously because that particular that that particular uh, femoral site has a direct connection to the to the heart and that's why we check for infection and check for double ratchets if they do exist it becomes a serious problem for the child we also want to maintain a clean dressing at the femoral site there might be hematoma or there might be bleeding which is not normal it must be reported to the hcp who performed the procedure we want to also prevent bleeding by maintaining the letter is a feather in a straight position so if the child has uh, one letter is meaning the letter has the the character on so you have two legs the left leg and the right the right leg now if the red leg has the character on this leg needs to be kept straight it should be kept straight to prevent bleeding in the end class this is an end discussion when we are doing cardiac cardiacization the leg that has the character inserted into the femoral area that leg must be kept straight at all point in time to prevent bleeding that leg must be assessed to check for hematoma check for bleeding infection and other things which are complicating to the problem or to the entire procedure we want to make sure we monitor the input and output of the urine to prevent dehydration or hypovolemia we want to monitor the patient blood glucose to prevent hypoglycemia we want to also administer IV fluid with dextrose just in case they are having hypoglycemic reaction so we give dextrose IV fluid to correct the hypoglycemic reaction we want to make sure we encourage oral intake after the six to eight hours of NPO when they are about to get back on regular food or regular meal we start with clear liquid clear liquid diet full liquid diet soft diet mechanical diet then move to what regular diet because the bowel has been resting for Pete's more for, for Pete's clients they will need a little time to introduce them back to their normal feeding process so you have, you have start with clear liquid diet to full liquid diet until you go you reach to the regular food um you want to make sure um all these things are in place make sure that uh, the patient is very calm when you are doing these things you want to remain calm with the patient you want to keep the patient well hydrated you want to conserve the patient energy now this is a big thing in the end class we have what we call energy conservation in the end class energy conservation now this is wherein a child has a problem the child is hospitalized this child needs ads to be done 
Now, how do we go about to do the ADL for this child? We must cluster their activities to prevent distraction or irritation. So if this man needs to change a diaper, he needs to do bare bath, he needs to he needs change of clothes, he needs feeding, we cannot do these things separately. We must take the feeding trail to the to his bedside, take a change of clothes to his bedside, get him a new pamper, everything will do it at once to prevent distraction which could bring in uh, patient irritation. We want to make sure we maintain fluid and electrolyte balance. We administer potassium supplement if prescribed. Um, would decrease the workload of the heart. The child will need bare rest. The child will be in semi-follow position, or um, the child will sleep on several pillows. So when the child is undergoing this procedure, the child needs to sleep on several pillows, or they can be in a semi-follow position. Now. In the anklets, you have these things coming in the anklets. They're going to ask you, a child who is undergoing cardiac or who are undergoing cardiac cardiac cardiacization, what's the best what's the best position for this child? It says, see my follow position. B says several pillows. C says trans-delimber position and D says prone position which one is the best answer on here now in the endless question there will always be two wrong answers in the endless to be honest there will always be two wrong answers and in here these are the two wrong answers because these two are contraindicated when the client has undergone this procedure in our in our material, we just read the child can be in other semi-follow position or the child can have several pillows to lie down on. Now, what's the correct answer in here? Can someone tell me? Tell me why? Which one, which one is the correct answer? Uh, I think it's semi-follow position. Why? That's just it. Hundred percent agree because this one has a well. It's not. It's it's not defined. It's dangling. So in the end class, we never choose dangling modifiers. That's English. We never choose dangling modifiers over specific modifiers. Put the patient into a C minor position. That's it. I could use two pillows, could be several pillows for me. I could use four pillows. I could use six pillows. I could use ten. Now, in a case wherein it is not specified, then we could use the C minor. In this case, A is the correct answer because A is well defined. Now, if we did not have A in here, and we had like a, let's say we had A was, let's say supine position. In this case, we'll choose what? We'll choose B because B is correct, but the most correct one would be A. This thing will come a lot in the end class. You will see two things that you read in your book. And one might ask for initial response or it might have a best response. 
the best response and the initial response are never the same. Take for example, a lady was involved into a motor vehicle accident and she hit her back on the back seat and she's crying in pain. She's lying on the floor on the uh, on the motor road. What's the initial action for the nurse? Now, in this situation, the, that initial action will be to immobilize that particular patient's spine. That could be an initial action. Let's, uh, let, let, let's say in, 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 in another situation, we cannot just run to, Im, Im, to immobilize the patient. We must do assessment. Now, if we had assessment in that particular question, and we had action to, to immobilize the patient, assessment will come before immobilization because assessment comes before intervention. Now, in this in that situation, if they ask for our best action, our best intervention will be to help the patient to have the immobilize. That will be our best, our best action, our best intervention. If they ask for our initial intervention, will be to, to perform a quick assessment on the patient before implementing. So we should understand what, what's the difference between best action and initial action in the end class. It is important to know these things. Any question? Any question? Now, uh, another thing I want to also know also, there will be medication that we use for this patient who having this condition. Um, so, so, so the patient will use we can get again digoxin to improve the myocardial contractility. They will take digoxin. So, digoxin will improve. That is, if the patient has shock, they will take digoxin. Digoxin improves myocardial contractility. So digoxin improves myocardial contractility for the patient. Um, this medication we don't we don't we don't administer it if the infant pulse is what is at what for infant. What's the pulse level for digoxin administration for infant? Can someone tell me for infant? Okay, well, I think it's 90, right? Hmm? So we have adult. We have infants. And we have children. So other is what? 60, right? Infant is 90. Yeah. Children is 70. Mm -hmm. so, okay. 70 right. Yeah. So for the drug scene, you never administer to, to any to any infant when the heart rate is below 90. You don't. For children below 70, you don't administer it. For other is 60 for the Jackson. Um when you administer when you administer when you administer the Jackson, 
what is your major concern with 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 with, with the Johnson administration? What's the concern? Hmm? Uh, uh, exactly. So the Johnson toxicity is our concern, right? Then what are the symptoms for the Johnson for the Johnson toxic effect? What are the symptoms? One. Did you spy already? Uh huh. Do you see like that kind of yellow spot? Like yellow spotting or something like that. How do you call it? Hmm? So they're going to have uh, vomiting. They're going to also have, um, they'll have anorexia. They'll have bradycardia because the joxin lowers the heart rate. So the reason why you don't give it when the heart rate is at a certain level because it lowers the heart rate. So if the heart rate is normal, heart rate is between sixty to one one hundred for adult, right? Now, if you serve it and the heart rate is at sixty, it will drop the heart rate. And if the heart rate drops, it will decrease cardiac output, which will also lead to what dyspnea, hypoxemia, cyanosis. Those are things that will lead to because when the heart is not pumping adequately, meaning there's a decreased cardiac output. And when we are having decreased cardiac output, like I said out here, our body cells, our body organs, our body tissue will not receive the adequate amount of O2 that they're supposed to receive. So that will lead to what? Hypoxemia and dyspnea and, and, and other breathing problems that are going to come about in that, uh, in this case scenario. So um, we're going to have bradycardia. They're going to have dysrhythmia. They'll have vomiting. They're gonna have um, nausea, and they will have anorexia. Those are the cardinal signs of the Johnson toxic effect. In the ankles, we must remove these things for the ankles. I always say this: in the ankles, not all the medications you need to know, but the, the most frequently used medications are what we're supposed to know. And one of those drugs that is most frequently used in the ankles is the Johnson. So um, you monitor also. So we monitor the joxin level to prevent us from going to toxic effect. So what's what's the normal level of the uh, blood level of of, of the joxin? Can someone tell me the normal joxin blood level? No. Oh, oh my God, sorry. 0.8 to 2. Let's remember these things well. 0.8 to 2 microgram per liter. So we look at this level. If it's above that, meaning the patient is having why they are going towards the toxicity of the joxin. So we might either give antidote or we might either stop the drugs and monitor the patient. If it is below 0.8, Meaning it is not therapeutic. So it is between 0 0.8 to 2. That is the therapeutic index for the joxin. Anything above that is toxic. Anything below that is ineffective. So we can also administer capital pearl. After the joxin, we can administer capital pearl in this condition. 
One drug, drugs, Caterpillar for honor, Caterpillar. Caterpillar. AC inhibitors. AC or in other they are what ACE inhibitors. What is the most common thing about these medications that 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 you know about? The most common thing for AC inhibitors. What is the most common thing you know about AC 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 inhibitors? So this so this medication. Cough, cough, a kind of cough. This just kind of cough. It makes you cough. This medication. So just, just remember that the mother very well. So it help a dry the baby down, but it come this, it come of cough. Now, so these medications, um, they will reduce the output of the heart. They, they can cause vasodilation. They can also decrease pulmonary and systemic vascular resistance. For them, so when we, when we have some all these medication, we gotta always monitor their blood pressure. Another ones we talk about under here. Example is the uh, metoprolol or the beta blockers. <clears throat> metoprolol, or they are called the beta blockers, right? So this medication can be administered also under here. They can also cause decrease in heart rate and decrease in blood pressure. They can also cause um, calm. They can also cause vasodilation for this medication. Then we can also give furosemide or HDZ. They are all given in this medic uh, in this condition. So these are drugs that we can administer when the, when the patient have these problems. Um, then we can then we, then we will look at another condition. Any any, any question? Kawasaki disease. Now the disease, um, it is also called acute systemic vascularitis. Acute systemic vas or vasculitis. It's all called acute systemic vasculitis. Now, this condition it has three phases. It has the acute phase. The sub-acute phase has the convalescent state or phase. Now, in the acute phase, it is it, it, it is the onset. It, it is the first phase, the acute phase. In the acute phase, it is the onset. This onset comes with high fever, and the fever is unresponsive to antiparietic. Let's remember the, the, the acute state, it comes with high fever that is not responsive to anti-pyrotic medication. 
Meaning if we get the Tylenol, it's not going to break the fever. That's the acute state of this condition. They will have fever above 102 degrees Fahrenheit or 39 degrees Celsius. They will have that kind, of, that kind of a high fever. It will last between 5 days to 2 weeks without responding to any medication. Now, in this condition, there are landmark features that I want us to look at about this stage and this condition. There will be redness. The entire buccal mucosa will be red. The mouth, the tongues, the palate will be very red, strawberry red in here. So, the, so they're going to have red eyes without drainage. The eyes become so red. But there is no genus in the eye. That's one cardinal symptom for Kawasaki disease. They're going to have bright red chapped lips. Their lips will be chapped. So they will have bright red chapped lips. These words are important to remember them for the anklets. They're going to have um, strawberry tongue with white coatings or red bumps on the posterior surface of the tongue. The tongues will be red, blood red, and they will have some wet patches on the tongue. They're going to also have red oral mucosa and there will be the whole mouth will become inflamed. It will be inflamed. They're going to have bilateral joint pains. They will have generalized ratchets that, that would not form blister. So ratchets are going to come in this condition. They will not form blister. And in the anklet at this stage, when with this skin condition, we talked about all these skin ratchets. Blister. We said blister are fluid-filled skin ratchets that are elevated above three millimeter. We talk about wheels, papules, macules, uh, vesicle. You must know how can we differentiate a macule from a vesicle? How can we differentiate a papule from a macule? They are all well defined in our study guidelines. And it's important to know them. So in the case of the acute phase of the Kawasaki disease, they're going to have these red ratchets that do not contain fluid in them. So even if you, if, you, if, you, if you squeeze them to have them burst, there'll be no fluid in them. Unlike a vesicle, a vesicle contains a fluid-filled uh, skin elevation, like in the case of chicken pox. So a chicken pox might start with macules. It goes up to papules because papules are more elevated and well-defined compared to macules. From there, it will, it will move to vesicle. So vesicle for chicken pox is wearing the chicken pox ratchets has started to gain fluid in them. That becomes a vesicle. Then it will get it will burst, it gets dry, it becomes crusted. So you must know these things like how we are sleeping. Because in the end class, one of these words can either provide you clarity to your answer and money option, or it might take you beyond confusion and you can miss your 
answered because of these symptoms. So they're going to have uh, non-blistering rashes. They will have enlarged lymph nodes. They're going to have disconnection of the of the, of the perineum. They will have cervical lymph adenopathy, and they're going to have cardiac problem with this disease condition. They're going to have cardiac problem. They're going to have myocarditis. They will have decreased left ventricular function. The left side of the heart will not be functioning well when they have this Kawasaki disease. So they will have left-sided heart decreased function. They will have decreased left ventricular function of the heart. They're going to have that. They're also going to have um, pericardial effusion. There will be fluid within the pericardial area. They're going to have mitral valve regurgitation, meaning the mitral valve, which is on the left side of the heart, because the left, the heart has four valves. Two of the valves are from within the heart itself. Those two valves are called the atrioventricular valve. They are the tricuspid valve and the mitral valve. The tricuspid is formed between the red atrium and the red ventricle. Then the next valve within there is also called the atrioventricular valve, is the mitral valve. The mitral valve is formed within the left side of the heart. That valve is formed between the left atrium and the left ventricle. And when you have cardiac disease, the mitral valve gets affected because there will be decreased left ventricular heart problem. Then the balance two valve are outside the heart, which include the pulmonic valve that lies between the red atrium and that of the pulmonary area, and you have the aortic valve that lies between the left ventricle and systemic circulation. We gotta know these things like how we are seeing them because it is important to know them so that in the end class, it cannot be confusion for you in the end class. Now, so those symptoms I talk about, they are all symptoms of the acute phase of the condition. Now, after, after the acute phase, then we move to the next phase. The next phase is what we call the subacute phase. Now, in the subacute phase for this condition, um, the patient is going to have the fever. The, there will be no fever, so the fever is resolved. Um, there will be irritability. The skin, because remember we said there will be skin rashes, right? So, in the second stage, which is the subacute phase, the skin will start to get there will be peeling of the skin. The skin will get peeled off. It will be crusted and the skin will be like peeling off. They're going to have joint pains, which is called, they will have temporary arthritis. So this condition can cause temporary arthritis to the patient. So the child will have Kawasaki disease, in, in the so acute phase, they will have arthritis. They're going to also have, in this phase, they're going to also have uh, the nails will peel, the palm will peel, and the sore of the field also peel. In this phase. Now, I'm saying this because in the end class, they will ask you this question in slow that I apply. For what are the symptoms that occur in the so acute phase? And they will label for you these things. In the first phase, the acute phase, there will be fever. There will be uh, red at the tongue. The gum will be red. 
there will be this formation of the of that that will happen in the first phase. Second phase, there will be no fever. There will be skin peelings. There will be the palm will peel, the soul will peel. This thing will happen in the second phase. Then the third stage or is called the convalescence phase. It's called the convalescent phase. Convalescent phase. This is the last phase. In this phase, there will be no symptoms or there will be no physical symptoms, but there will be increase in laboratory value. Here there will be increase in laboratory values. So in these lab values, it will resolve in six to eight weeks from the day of the onset. So what are lab value? The CBC, there will be increment in the CBC level. There will be increment in the ESR level, ESR, and the serum albumin. The serum albumin. What's 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 the normal level? Abomin in our body. So there will be there will be increase CBC, CRP, ESR, and serum abdomen level will all be increased. So we can do for them the EKG or the echocardiogram and the chest X-ray. In this situation, uh, we can administer aspirin. In low doses, below 100 milligrams per kg per day, for the for those who are, who are affected. Um. So once they become a fever, the dose divide into two. We get half of what they were receiving when they were having the fever. Any question? Any question?